Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're taking a trip to Luxembourg and we're going to talk to an Englishman in Luxembourg, James, and we're going to talk about the revenue financing. So let's dive into it because, of course, we all know everywhere around the world we've got tough economic environment and if you are in SME business, you may struggle getting financing through traditional finance and revenue financing could be an answer. And this is what James and his company Bloom do. So let's find out more about this. How are you today? What's the weather like in Luxembourg? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Look, it's a fantastic day in Luxembourg, bright and sunny, a little overcast, but certainly not as hot as it has been in the UK. So nice and relaxed and ready for a good chat with you. Brilliant. Sounds great. So what is your background? How did you get to do what you do today? And the main theme for me is always, why did you become an entrepreneur? Why have you decided to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, look, my my path here has definitely not been a straight line compared to maybe some other entrepreneurs. But I was an issue at Morgan Stanley for 15 years. I started as a technologist. Someone noticed I had a personality and they put me on a, a plane to Saudi Arabia. And I started building out a, a full-service investment bank and then from there moved to Hungary and from Hungary to New York, where I ultimately uh, led the firm's fintech activities. And it was during that window of, of opportunity, really, where I would sit across the other side of the table from three to 400 entrepreneurs each year that I really become inspired by the entrepreneurial journey. And I started to believe over time that it was really something that I wanted to do with my life. And so I left Morgan Stanley. I picked up a job as a CEO of a finance company, grew that pretty, pretty quickly in the buy now, pay later space in Northern Europe. And then from there, I reached a point that I decided it was the journey for me, which was to go and become an entrepreneur and build and found my own company. That clearly took a lot of kind of discussion with my family, but we made a decision a few years ago that it's something that I really wanted to do, and I thought it was the right path in terms of how I wanted to spend the rest of my career. And so I, I built Bloom, I built Bloom off the back of, of speaking to really e-commerce merchants and SaaS businesses that were using our buy now, pay later business, who really needed access to capital, and they were shortchanged, especially female entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs of color. We all know the stats there. And I felt I wanted to build a business that was fair, that was a great alternative to venture capital, that could really help transform good businesses and help them get to great. And here we are. All right. Sounds great. So let's make it a little bit more specific and concrete. So what does Bloom provide and what's the problem that you're solving specifically for those SMEs and businesses? So here's the problem. If you're an e-commerce business, you have a really hard challenge with working capital. Typically, you are having to pay for inventory when it leaves the factory and typically that's from somewhere in asia and that's inventory being shipped for a period of time and then you're having to distribute and sell that product typically within three to four months 
that ties up a huge amount of working capital. At the same time, you need to continue to fund marketing spend. And so what typically happens, and we see this every single day, is businesses can only get so far in Europe because there isn't alternatives locally, especially from banks, that would recognize these businesses as having real cash flow. They've got no assets. Their assets are stock that they're turning, and they may just be shipping to a third-party logistics provider. This is where we play, because what we can do is provide capital for inventory. We can provide capital for marketing. We can provide capital for scaling. And take what you're already doing today, but not take a personal guarantee, not take a warrant, not take equity, and enable you to convert your future sales into capital. And that's what we do for e-commerce businesses. And it's the same story with our recurring revenue product, which typically in that business, you may have 10 million of annual recurring revenue, but that annual recurring revenue doesn't cover your monthly expenses. And so we can provide an advance against that annual recurring revenue so you can continue to grow and scale your business. And typically, this is a strong alternative in both cases to the traditional venture capital route. And this is the stat that always gets me. Like today, entrepreneurs, if they are successful in raising equity capital, 40% of what they raise is then spent with Amazon, Google, or Facebook. That's an absolutely crazy amount of capital to, to take in and then immediately give away to Zuckerberg. And so we think that's not fair, that's not appropriate. And for good businesses with healthy margins, we can provide really strong alternatives. So you provide financing when it comes to working capital, helping with the cash flow in a non-dilutive way. But I see that you mentioned the word revenue financing on your website. Maybe let's mm-hmm. define the buzzword because it's yeah. become more popular than ever in the last yeah. few years. Yeah, I think you're right. So what is revenue-based financing? It's really simple. Let's imagine you have sales in, in on a Tuesday of a thousand pounds or your what you agree to do is share typically 10% of your sales with the revenue based financing lender so in this case bloom and you'll share 10% of every single sale until you pay us back our small fee and the capital that you've lent and so let's think about how that might scale over the course of a month or a year you might have sales every day except Wednesday or Thursday. That's okay. You don't. You only pay your fee on the day that you have sales. And so the way that revenue financing works is it tracks very nicely to your cash flow as opposed to demanding that you have a fixed repayment every month that might not fit the cash flow or the cyclical nature of your business. So another way of thinking about revenue-based finance is thinking about it as a royalty-based finance scheme, which is where we just take 10% of every sale until we get repaid, and it matches your cash flow beautifully. That's what it is. But how do you think about the sectors that you want to finance and the risk? Because there could be a worst-case scenario, there are no revenues, and you gave that company a loan, then what? How do you think about that? Yeah, so I think that there's two questions there, which is one about 
credit risk and affordability and one about yeah. the sectors that make sense. Revenue-based financing isn't new. In the US markets, there's a product called Merchant Cash Advance. And, and I don't think that's a, a really high quality business. The Merchant Cash Advance business, typically the fees are super high and they target things like a bar and club, the hospitality sector, and they charge a very high fee. And so that's really where kind of revenue-based financing come from, which has had its roots in kind of high interest, high fee products and Liberus and Capify do a very good job of this servicing that community in the UK. We don't focus on that segment and that's not the segment that revenue finance really are focused on. And so for us, we think that's not the right product for those merchants because typically fertility business will have margins of 15 to 20% and the fees for that product are going to be around 35, 40, 50%, if not higher APR. So the sector that we focus on, as do a few of our peers, are businesses that are operating online, so e-commerce businesses or those with the recurring revenue capability. So that would be a SaaS-based business. It could be a subscription-based business. And typically, the way that it would work is the fee base is much lower because the credit risk typically is much lower. So that's where we're focused. Let's think through what happens and how we underwrite and how we get comfortable that we're not going to give a business too much capital or too little. And so how we differentiate at Bloom and how we do things differently is we think about a business in two components. Component one is, what do we think the credit risk of the business is? And so we typically look at businesses that have stable revenues that have been going for at least a year. And there's clearly a credit underwrite there. And then the second component of what we look at is what's affordable for the business. Now, we want to provide fair capital. And so we would look at the cash flow of the business, how the business is performing, how their marketing is operated and what kind of returns they have. And we make a decision with a combination of a view on the credit risk of the company and a view of the affordability or the cash flow that's running for the business. And we make a decision on how much capital we think that business can absorb from Bloom and what we think that will do in terms of their sales. And typically, people that take a capital, they grow their sales by 50, 60, 70. And the combination of those two things give us, gives us a high degree of confidence around the likelihood of us to get repaid. And we, we, don't have, we haven't taken any credit losses at this. So, so typically, if we do those two things, it's highly unlikely that we're going to be funding businesses that suddenly stop operating or suddenly stop having uh, revenues. What may happen sometimes is there's a stock out process or there's an issue in the supply chain or it's a cyclical business. And we expect to see revenue significantly lower than, than, than we might expect to see. And that's totally okay. It's a revenue-based funding line and they'll just continue to repay once normal businesses return. But that is frankly very rare. And we do a lot of work with businesses to make sure that we're doing the right thing by them. I see. I see. I understand. So what is your technology angle though? Because how do you do this and underwriting, right? To do it at scale, to do it cheaply. Companies turn into turn to algorithms, right? Because yeah. assess credit risk manually, it costs a lot of time and money. Yeah. So I, I assume that you have some technology in the background that could yeah. be proprietary or not. Yeah. But maybe let's also talk about what you mentioned before that you want to help 
the businesses which are underfunded because they are funded by female founders or people yeah. of color. So how do you deal that with algorithms? Because they also don't have the best reputation when it comes to that either. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Look, we're the only business in the marketplace right now, and, and this is from investors that put money into Bloom. They've seen all the competitors that have a fully automated decision process. And so we've really spent a lot of time investing our, I think our investment so far has been around £2 million on making sure that our entire onboarding process and our underwriting process is fully automated. And then secondly, beyond that, we've really focused on building ethical AI and our chief data officer has led the way here to making sure that when we're making an underwrite decision, we're not looking at the background of the merchant, where they come from, their sex. We're really focused on the business performance. And so we look at the business performance first from an underwrite perspective. And yes, we have all of the technology that you'd expect around algorithms, artificial intelligence, machine learning. But ultimately, what's most important is we're able to make a great decision and make an offer within 24 hours, agnostic of any of the things that would trip up traditional entrepreneurs going to venture capital. So... What are your plans for scaling up and perhaps expanding the product range? Because every business that calls themselves a startup is a different business than as an SME, right? SME, is nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, but obviously I think you want to grow. So what, how do you want to go about it and how, or how are you going about it now? No, good question. So look, we clearly have launched and are, are busy growing rapidly in the UK. We win typically 80% 80 of the deals that we're going up against, if not higher, frankly, where there's another actor or another provider in the mix when they understand how we're different. And we are quite different in terms of how we think about our pricing model. And so clearly getting that right is really important. So I think there's probably two, there's probably three growth or four growth paths that we have currently outlined strategically. So clearly one is product mix. And so in the next few weeks, we'll be launching our recurring revenue product. And I'd expect that we have about 40 to 80 million of deal flow ready to go in that pipeline, which is exciting for us, given that people are waiting for us to be live before we're looking somewhere else. I think then there's a geographical component in terms of where we want to expand to. And clearly we have more opportunity than time and capital, but we're focused on expanding into Europe, into key markets that are traditionally messy. So that would be France, Germany. Uh, and then the last growth factor is really how we will distribute our technology and our platform and our capital, which will be via uh, deeply embedded partnerships. And so we haven't announced these yet, but we will be announcing five or six material distribution partnerships that enable our partners to, to offer their customers effectively an embedded finance offer uh, that helps close their challenges in terms of customer retention and creates alpha for them but also enables us to capture merchants before they need capital so that they know there's an alternative and it takes the fear away from having to uh, think through how you scale and grow your business. And that's our plan. I think we'll probably do a little se a pre-series B or a series B round later in the year, given the amount of opportunity we have. And we think that combination will continue to help us scale off the back of our very significant 376 million series A round. Great. Now, let's make it a bit more clear for me, at least. Are you based in Luxembourg, but the business is based in the UK, right? Or covering yeah, the UK? Yeah, so we have offices in three locations. Four, actually. We have a sales team. The, the team in, that covers the UK market is clearly in the UK. I spend most of my time there. 
We are growing a team in Italy. We have a technology center in Romania, uh, and we have a, a broader sales team in South Africa. And so we're, we're a true kind of European business. We tend to go where the talent is, especially in a post-COVID environment. And clearly I'm in Luxembourg, uh, and that's a good place to be as we grow our business in mainland Europe. And we'll grow in those locations. The next largest market for us is clearly going to be uh, and Germany. And we're building out our teams there today. I see. So you mentioned Germany, Italy, France. and France as well. But before you mentioned that your algorithms or decision-making process is fully automated. So of course, it will be quite challenging to go to a new country because even though you're in the EU, there are different languages, slightly different frameworks, right? What will you need to do with your algorithms so it stays fully automated? Will you need to start from scratch or is this technology that you have quite modular and all you just need to do is put another language layer on it and some additional local rules or how does that work? Yeah, so look, we can be up. Our technology is really scalable and it's it's a microservice architecture. We can be up and running in a net new market in under 60 days. And if you think about it, what is it that we're underwriting? There's a huge amount of common core, which is what's your sales, what's your marketing. And so connecting to Shopify accounts, Magento accounts, Recurly accounts, Stripe accounts, all of that is, is consistent across Europe. There's no delta there, the data is the data. But as we go into each individual market, clearly there's a piece of work that looks at how we would connect the local open banking community, which is different. Right? Clearly in Europe, that's not standardized or, or unique, but with partners like Plaid and Tink, they're taking out a lot of the complexity. So you have one API that remains consistent and we continue to be good partners of those companies. And so really, we spend time on making sure that we have the regulatory viewpoint done and dusted, and that's reflected in how we go to market and having and ensuring we have the right regulatory licenses. And so that's really where you spend time expanding into Europe because we don't have a harmonious framework, which is clearly a challenge for any European business trying to scale and trying to get to unicorn status, which is why so many companies, frankly, head to the US market where it's homogeneous. But we're committed to, to really focusing on solving the challenges of small businesses in Europe and we'll take the messy path. And we think over time that creates more alpha than just focusing on how quickly you can build a significant book, which is why you go to the US. I see. So you mentioned your unique pricing model. You mentioned typically 10% of the revenues, things like this. Maybe let's clarify this very briefly. What is your business model? How do you make money? Yeah, so I think the first thing I'd say is we're completely different from anybody else. And I think we've won a fair amount of accolades and press on how we are different. And let's talk about that a little bit. And then we'll talk about how we make money. So if you think about the majority of revenue-based lenders, they charge one flat fee. They might charge you 9% for nine months or 10% for nine months. And that's a factor rate. So if you're taking 100,000, you're going to pay a flat fee of 9,000 euros, irrespective of how long it takes for you to repay that loan. We looked at that and we really had a hard time with that business model and that approach. That's yielding for those companies 50% IRR, which we think is super high. And typically what we understand and see consistently is with capital, companies pay back faster. Right? So typically people that have a nine-month fixed duration repayment loan, they might pay back in six months. So we did some thinking on this and our view or my view at the time was, if you're a business 
If the electricity is not on, you don't pay for it. If the water's not on, you don't pay for it. And that's how I feel capital should work if you really want to be truly fair capital. So how our capital operates is you pay a very small daily fee and you only pay a daily fee for our capital for the days that you use it. So in that scenario of nine months and let's call it £9,000 of fee, if you pay us back 10, 20% faster than you expected, that fee won't be 9,000. It will be six and a half, seven, 8,000. It will reflect how long you've held that capital for. And our goal here isn't to compete on price. Our goal is to compete on fairness. And we'd much rather have entrepreneurs and founders that have had a really hard time raising capital come back to us because we're fair and because we can keep providing capital. I want to give capital three, four, five million over the course of their lifetime to help them scale their business. And if we provide the fairest capital that suits their cash flow and helps them grow so that they keep money in their pockets, we think we have a real competitive advantage and we're doing the right thing by a brand promise, which is fair and uh, get to a better place. All right. We talked a lot about capital, the business model. Maybe let's look at the balance sheet as well. You mentioned your fundraising success. Did you also raise debt? Yes, yeah, so we've raised debt and equity. We continue to raise debt and equity. And so these are on our balance sheet. We have a fantastic partner in Fortress and Credo. We continue to talk to new debt partners to fund our origination. And we'll con- we continue to talk to new equity partners that like what we're doing. So I think we're in a very fortunate place in the current economic cycle where we can be solid, where we're insulated to some extent from rising interest rates. And we can provide a real partner to, uh, to our, the, the businesses that need capital the most. And how are you regulated? You are not a bank, are you? Yeah, we're not a bank. We always comply with a local market regulation. And so in markets where we need licenses, we secure them. In the UK, as an example, we're not a regulated lending to small to medium businesses. It's not a regulated activity. And so what we would do in that scenario is we work with the FSA and we exceed the requirements for our business and we comply and we're registered for AMM and KYC. In other markets like France or Germany, we work with the regulator to ensure we've got. I've built, built and bought banks before. I don't think the path for Bloom is to become a bank. That's a heavily capital-intense productness, and that isn't the right path for us. And we think really the path is to make sure we comply, get the appropriate licenses, but more importantly, use the public markets or the private markets to ensure the cost of debt is a relatively acceptable level, but we can provide fair capital to our customers. But I guess the point is that your customers are corporations, SMEs, right? Yes, yes. And most of the protection that is out there generally is starts with the retail retail clients and retail investors. Consumer, for sure. Not today. Okay. All right. Understood. So before we go, I just have two easy questions for you. First of all, what is your favorite business book, if you have any, or non-fiction book that you can recommend? Yeah, so I think there's two. I like Steve Jobs by Walter Isaac. Everyone likes Steve, but just understand the journey that he went through. And it's similar to Bloom, it's like a journey of failure and then success. I like that story. The other book that I really enjoy was Good to Great by Jim Collins. So I, I could absolutely recommend those two. Brilliant. I got both of those and I can recommend them as well. And also the follow on onto uh, Good to Great, which is called Built to Last. And I recorded a micro course on Emeritus Insights based on that book. So great stuff, how to build 
uh, businesses to last and how to get from good to great. So similarly for you, if you've already achieved a lot and uh, there are obviously uh, even bigger opportunities ahead of you. So good luck to Bloom and good luck to James. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.